Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Thursday, December 7th. The annual Canada food price report is out. How much did inflation impact food prices in the past 12 months and what can we expect heading into 2024? We dig into the details of the report with Monica Curzon from the Faculty of Agriculture at Dalhousie University. The Bank of Canada held the overnight rate to 5%, but that really doesn't help if you're facing a mortgage renewal in the coming months. So what can you expect to encounter if you are renewing and is it better to lock in on shorter terms than a longer one? Get some advice from Penelope Graham, Director of Content at RateHub.ca. And finally, how can your business make a big impact before the end of the year? We catch up with Ellen Parker, CEO and owner of Parker PR, for some PR tips and tricks to help your business thrive during the busy holiday season ahead. The annual food price report is out and joining us to discuss what we can anticipate as we head to the next 12 months into 2024 is Monica Corzin, postdoctoral fellow in the Faculty of Agriculture from Dalhousie University. Good morning to you, Monica. Good morning. Well, can you tell us what your key takeaway was when you took a look at this report? Yeah, I mean, as you mentioned, food prices are going up, and we're predicting that for 2024, food prices will go up again, about um, 2.5 to 4.5%, so a little bit less than uh, in the last few years, but still increasing uh, in 2024. Okay, so if last year's predicted 5 to 7% increase was accurate, how do these trends then shape what we look for in 2024? Yeah, I mean, our predictions uh, were 5 to 7% for increase for 2023, um, and data shows that food prices increased by 5.9, so we were within that range. Um, again, for this year, the increase will be a little bit less, which, you know, silver lining, I guess. Um, but more specifically, there are some items that will go up than others. So baked goods, meat, and vegetables are expected to increase between 5 to 7%, whereas dairy and fruit are expected to increase only 1 to 3%. So depending on the food item, you know, that price increase will be a little bit different. Um, but overall, we're expecting that a family of four will spend about $16,300 on food in 2024. So that's an increase of a little bit over $700 from this year. Wow. As we've learned, Monica, when you're down those grocery store aisles and see these high prices, we cannot personally control the costs and the prices we pay. We can shop around for sure, but our habits can change. What have you seen and what can we uh, you know, state have been changes from Canadian consumers? I mean, food, we have to remember food costs are a flexible um, cost compared to, let's say, housing or utilities. Those are fixed costs that we really can't change. But with food costs, although we can't change the food prices in the store, we can control how much we spend on it. And we have seen that people are, in fact, spending less money on food than they were in the past. So they're either reducing the amount of food that they're purchasing or the quality of food. So this is something that we're concerned about. Um, and as you mentioned before, people uh, using food banks is also increasing. So the rates of food insecurity are increasing as well. Um, what we're also concerned about is the long-term kind of health implications of this. We know people who are food insecure and those who you know, are consuming less calories or consuming poor quality food have there are health implications in the long run for individually, but also as you know, a society and community, those healthcare costs, um, there are repercussions to paying less for food down the line. 
Do you think Canadians should expect something in 2024 in terms of, you know, food inflation, economic growth, climate change? Is all of that going to have an effect on the prices next year? Yes, I mean, 2023 was uh, a big year when it comes to climate change. We had a lot of wildfires. There was a lot of flooding um, experienced throughout the country as well. And it's likely that climate change will just continue impacting the cost of food. I mean, it impacts agriculture, right, impacting the yields and the harvest, and will ultimately impact um, how we access food. If we rely more on imports, that will also have an impact. If the Canadian dollar is a little bit weaker, then our, you know, the food will cost more uh, in our stores as well, especially during wintertime when we are importing more fruits and vegetables as well. Speaking this morning with Monica Corzin, a postdoctoral fellow at the Faculty of Agriculture, Dalhousie University. And I know, Monica, within your line of work in this report itself, lasered in on Canadian and the habits of Canadians and where we've been and where we're going. But can we compare to what we've experienced and what we are going to, to to other nations? I know everybody, it seems like across the globe, has been hit by this issue. But how do Canadians compare? It's hard. To, I mean... Statistically, we're not doing that bad, actually. So it's hard for, you know, for many Canadians to, um, I guess, acknowledge that, that compared globally, we're not doing that bad. Our inflation isn't that bad compared to other countries. Uh, what we spend of our income on food is also not that bad compared to other countries. On average, Canadians spend about 10% of their income on food. Uh, which has been quite stable uh, for the past 10 or so years. The percentage uh, of our income that we spend on food has in fact been decreasing since the 1960s in Canada. So we're spending less and less of our income on food. But again, that doesn't always mean that it's good, right? Especially if we're opting out to buy poor quality food um, or less of that food. So relatively speaking, we are doing better than other countries. Um, some countries like the UK has experienced inflation of up to you know, 17% on their food. Uh, but in Canada, we're definitely not that bad. Thank you so much for joining the conversation this morning, Monica. Appreciate your time. Thanks so much for your interest. Have a great day. Thank you. Monica Corzon is a postdoctoral fellow in the Faculty of Agriculture at Dalhousie University. Mornings with Sue and Andy are brought to you by Cupboards Express. Stop by their showroom at 2020 32nd Avenue Northeast to browse over a thousand styles and get expert advice. 605 now, and economists anticipate the Bank of Canada's key interest rate will start to drop in 2024. But until the end of the year, as we heard yesterday, that rate is holding at 5%. So what does it all mean for people who are looking for a mortgage renewal, for example, in the coming months? Joining us to talk about it is Penelope Graham, Director of Content at RateHub.ca. Good morning, Penelope. Thanks for being with us. Hi, good morning. So Bank of Canada decision yesterday to hold the rate at 5%. How does that Mm -hmm. impact, for example, would you say, the current state of the housing market to begin with? Mm -hmm. Well, this is the third consecutive time that our central bank has left this rate unchanged. And that's important because this rate acts as the benchmark for Canada's prime rate, which in turn is used by consumer lenders when they're pricing their variable borrowing products. So that's things like variable rate mortgages and line of credit products, HELOCs, etc. So when it comes to the housing market, Overall, we think this should have a positive impact in terms of sales um, because there's many buyers who 
they're feeling increasingly confident that rates are now going to stabilize and, as you mentioned, go lower in 2024. Um, we think that this will pick up more so in the new year because right now the housing market is in what we call holiday hibernation mode, um, which is a seasonally typical slowdown because nobody wants to be listing their home or go house hunting over the holidays. Um, and, you know, the latest national numbers that were out in October it shows that in many markets across Canada, home prices have started to soften due to slowing demand and increased listings combined with steep borrowing costs. Um, so with the promise of lower interest rates, that should hopefully help ease affordability a little bit. And there's lots of would-be buyers who've been waiting to get into the market, but they've wanted to avoid the hiking cycle. And this is likely all the encouragement that they need. So we are expecting that things are going to heat up in the housing market as these borrowing conditions improve. The boring conditions, yes, indeed, we're all focused mm -hmm. on uh, Penelope, the, the hold, and considering mm -hmm. the hold that was announced earlier this week, what clues or insights can we glean from the bank's commentary about future rate decisions as we move into 2024? Mm -hmm. So there's a few key things in this particular announcement in the bank's language that economists are looking at. So the first thing is that they, they have stated that the economy is no longer experiencing excess demand. And this is a key statement because it's the first time they've indicated this since they started hiking rates. And what it means is that economic data is now trending in the direction that they've been striving for. Um, and altogether, that supports a prolonged rate hold stance. Um, the second thing that they said is they have dropped the line inflationary risks have increased from their announcement. That has been present in all of the announcements to date where they've been hiking rates. So these are two really important clues that hikes are now in the rear view. Um, now, of course, the question is, when are rate cuts coming? Um, so assuming that everything continues to trend the way it has, you know, in terms of inflation and GDP and jobs, uh, analysts are pointing to cuts to come in 2024. The conservative guess is in the later half of the year, but we're now starting to hear forecasts as early as March or April as recessionary risks become more pronounced. Um, of course, the bank itself is, is not making any hints as to when this may be. Uh, they, in fact, kept their line about how they're prepared to raise rates if necessary in the future. They're indicating that there are still some uh, headwind risks pointing to inflation, like high mortgage rates, high rent prices. Um, and they have to be very, very careful of seeming too dovish because they don't want to rile up the markets. If they seem overly optimistic at this stage, it could actually be inflationary and have the opposite effect of what they're trying to achieve. So they have to be very coy and very balanced in their language. But this is what economists are parsing from the tea leaves of the announcement. So, I mean, based on all of that and considering the bank's decision yesterday and we mm -hmm. anticipate, you know, maybe things start to go down down in 2024 say my mortgage is coming up for renewal <clears throat> excuse me uh -huh. in like january february or march what do i do uh -huh. do i go in for fixed do i go in for variable it really comes down to your tolerance for risk so right now yes it's it's widely anticipated that variable mortgage rates will start to decline um but you know we have an announcement in january we don't know if cuts are going to come at that that early stage, they might still be holding. Uh, you, you might not see relief until March. Um, but once that cutting cycle is underway, people with variable rates will start to see, you know, that relief kind of compound. 
On the fixed mortgage side, however, we are also seeing declines there. So fixed mortgage rates are not directly influenced by the Bank of Canada's rates, but they are strongly impacted by what's happening in the bond market. And the bond market does react directly to what's happening with monetary policy. So, of course, over the hiking cycle, we know bond yields shot up to record highs. You know, they broached 4% uh, earlier this year, and fixed mortgage rates have marched steadily higher with them. Um, but in, you know, really over the recent months, that's been unwinding. Investors are more confident that rate hikes are now over. Interest in bonds is going back up. The yields are dropping. And so too are fixed mortgage rates. So we've actually seen a number of lenders discount uh, that five-year fixed mortgage rate, three-year fixed mortgage rates. Um, so Depending on what type of borrower you are and what kind of rate you prefer, the good news is is it appears that lower rates are on the horizon either way. Okay, but when you say on the horizon, Penelope, it'd be great to just mm-hmm. you know sit on the sidelines and wait and then make changes to your mortgage. But so many folks out there, there are mortgage renewals coming up in the next couple of months. Mm-hmm. What do you say to somebody like that who has to kind of think fast of, as far as you know being offered, for example, a 7% rate or something thereabouts? I'm just throwing out a number there. Um, and mm-hmm. you have to lock in. Do you, do you think that you would lock in for a five-year? Or would you, if it was up to you, go for a shorter term because you believe things are going to be uh, going a little lower as you move past 2024. Mm-hmm. So that's been a really common tactic as rates have been high. We've seen a lot of interest in three-year fixed rates um, or even you know two-year fixed rates because some borrowers are thinking, yes, I want stability. I do not want to be uh, directly exposed to the rate hiking cycle, but I also want flexibility and I want to be able to make a change um, if the interest rate environment becomes a little bit more attractive. Um, So locking into a shorter term fixed rate has been a popular tactic because it's given borrowers that flexibility. The bottom line though is Get in touch with your mortgage broker, whoever is facilitating your mortgage loan, and really go over the particulars of your situation. So, yes, we know that mortgage renewals are a bit of this, you know, looming um, uh, incident that's going to be coming down for a lot of borrowers within the next few months, within the next couple of years. We know that is a main concern for the economy and for banks, um, but it's in everyone's best interest to try to mitigate any kind of financial stress from that. So depending on how long you've had your home, the amount of equity you've built up in it, um, whether or not you want to refinance, uh, it's important to get in touch with your broker and, and look at your options as you are coming up for renewal and see what is going to be most advantageous for you financially in the long run. Thank you so much, Penelope. Really appreciate your opinions this morning. Thanks for joining us. My pleasure. Thank you. Thanks, Penelope Graham, Director of Content at RateHub.ca. Hey, 35 now and gift giving and sending notes of holiday cheer, big, big part of the holiday season. Well, Ellen Parker, CEO of Parker PR, is here to chat about the culture around gift giving in the business community. And she's got some tips and tricks when it comes to who to gift, what to give and where to buy. Good morning, Ellen. Thanks so much for joining us. Good morning, Sue. Thank you so much for having me. Break it down for us then. What what are some of the do's and don'ts when it comes to gifting in the workplace? Yeah, great question. So, you know, really consider the work environment where you work. Offices and corporate Calgary varies. There's lots of very professional offices, more creative and fun environments. So be appropriate for your environment. We've all seen the movie Elf when Will Ferrell gets the gift for his dad. Nobody wants to be awkward. You know, lingerie, perfume, jewelry are, you know, should be out of the question. 
Um, with client gifting, consider the client's likes and interests in choosing what to give him or her. Thoughtful gifts often have the most impact, as we all know, and are oftentimes the least expensive. We want to be meaningful and show we're listening and we care about people personally. Thoughtful messages and cards are great to consider as well. You know, we all do save a few of our Christmas cards each year, so make the card you give the one that they save. Just be mindful about what we're doing. Great ideas are books, gourmet food baskets, tickets to the theater, the orchestra, the ballet, supporting a local um, sporting event is a great idea. And giving a gift to a business associate or a colleague is also a very nice way to build camaraderie in the office. It shows a sign that you respect the effort they're making on your team, possibly even forging a new aspect of the relationship at work. Gift exchanges are great but always keep it professional. And I think modesty is a great rule of thumb. All right, good stuff there. And I know that uh, you're very much, you know, right in the city of Calgary, Ellen. You like to try to do what you can to promote other businesses. And so it's interesting because when it comes time to, to spend these bucks, uh, you like to suggest making a bigger impact when you buy said gift. How do we do that? Yeah, that's great. So, you know, we all know that we spend so much money during Christmas. We all do. It's, it's very evident. So why not support our local business communities? Kensington, Inglewood, even Bankers Hall downtown is a mall that is just absolutely full of small, family-owned and operated businesses. And this makes such a big impact when we support local shops. We support the employees in our city who are working. We support the shop owners' families. So we really end up having this multiple layers of impact, which I think is really, really important, helping businesses feed their families, you know, send their kids to school. We all know how expensive things are. And I think that this is actually quite overlooked. And I really encourage people to take their money and put it to good use in our local economy. Great advice for sure. Ellen, is there anything we should be considering to be creative and make holiday giving unique and fun for everyone? How how can we do that? Yeah, you know, I think it's such a fun thing when you see Christmas carolers. Like, I would encourage, you know, do a Christmas caroling activity for your neighborhood. Hire the youth singers of Calgary to go and sing for your client or your boss, if it's appropriate. Again, um, ask your client who their favorite charity is and then make a donation on their behalf and write a beautiful letter about your client and about the work they do for that organization. I think that is really meaningful and it's really beautiful just to spread that joy and put your money in places where it actually has impact. Um, Of course, always, we don't want to do anything offensive. You know, don't send someone a political-leaning book when you're trying to push your own agenda. Just holidays are about joy and love and kindness and fun. So I think incorporating that is, is a great idea in the workplace. Do gift exchanges. Um, make your team excited about working hard and looking ahead into 2024. And the holidays is a really nice time to solidify that excitement for next year, solidify the gratitude we have for our teams and our clients who have been working so hard in this past year. So I think it's just, it's a great time to, to think about it, be mindful about it, plan, and then execute. 
just before I let you go, Alan, on that point, you mentioned uh, being non-offensive. We were talking earlier about how it just seemed to be in the past decade or so that people get, you know, kind of up in arms if you say Merry Christmas or if you don't say Merry Christmas, but say Happy Holidays or Happy mm-hmm. uh, the Season's Greetings. Is this something that should be discussed within the workplace if you deal with customers to all be on the same page? Or is this, uh, in your opinion, an individual choice on how you, uh, you know, greet people during the holidays? Yeah, that is a very good question and an interesting one. Myself, I, I'm a very traditional person within my own family. We have many traditions. We celebrate Christmas. We say Merry Christmas. We love Christmas. I feel like if you know someone isn't comfortable with that, then being mindful and respectful of that person is a really nice, kind way to engage. So I think it's kind of a case-by-case situation. Um, I, I think it's about being kind and caring mm-hmm. and and understanding the true meaning of the holiday, which is about love, and and I don't I don't think those words should should really impact in a negative way. But I do believe that if you if you know someone who might you know might take offense, then just always take the high road is a good approach. Absolutely, great advice. All of it is. Thank you so much, Ellen. I love talking to you always, and uh, happy holidays. Merry Christmas to you. Thank you so much, you guys. I was going to offer to sing you a Christmas carol. Oh, go ahead. Oh, no, we've got time. You go ahead. Okay. Well, we wish you a Merry Christmas. We wish you a Merry Christmas. We wish you a Merry Christmas. And a happy new year. She's a CEO. She's an owner of Parker PR, and she can sing too. You got it all, Ellen. The thing is, like uh, Sue is uh, organizing our Christmas party, we were looking for entertainers. You're hired, Ellen. Thank you so you know, much. Bob kind of encouraged me to do that. So <laughs> it's a team effort, and it's coming from all of us at Parker PR. Aww. Happy holidays. Same to you, Ellen. Thank you so Thank much you. for joining us. Again, Ellen Parker, CEO and owner of Parker PR. You can find out more at parkerpr.ca.